Well, good morning, everyone. How are you doing this morning? Everybody okay? Why don't you go ahead and open your Bibles with me to um, the New Testament, Luke chapter 5. And if you don't have a Bible with you, you should find one that you can use in one of the chair racks down around you, Luke chapter 5. In case you're a guest with us today, just so you know what we're doing, uh, we're in a series called Miracles, in which we are examining um, some of the mysterious, out of the ordinary, hard to comprehend things that God has done in our world through history. And uh, in order to set a rational and theological foundation for understanding them, uh, we began several weeks ago with an overview of miracles. And uh, if you miss that one, and all the other ones are good, all the other parts in the series have been good, but if you miss that first one, you really need to go online and listen to it because it sets the stage for really understanding what we're talking about here. But um, uh, here's the deal. Essentially, for anyone who doesn't believe in God, there's no such thing as miracles. Uh, But if you believe God exists, then it's only rational to believe that miracles are indeed possible, although rare. These events can occur. God can do things that we can't fully explain. And because the word miracle has been so overused and um, kind of watered down in our culture, we define it in a more strict biblical sense as an astonishing event uh, that occurs when the power of God transcends what's normally perceived as natural law and cannot be explained upon any known natural basis. It's a bush that burns without being consumed. It's a virgin conceiving a child. It's water turning to wine or uh, an inexplicable anomaly involving the animal kingdom uh, like a bunch of fish. In fact, that's the miracle I want to look at with you today here uh, recorded in Luke chapter 5. So let me read the event for you, the account for you, and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about it, okay? So starting in Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1, we're told that one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Uh, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish, their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Now, let me... um, let me by, begin by trying to set the historical and cultural context for this event. Uh, in case you didn't know this, when Jesus began his miracle, he chose the city of Capernaum as, as his base of operation. And uh, as you can see from this, this map, Capernaum is up on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, just a little to the west. And uh, it's still located there today. It's still a city. Uh, the Sea of Galilee is also known as the Lake of Gennesaret, also called the Sea of Tiberias. So it has a number of names. Uh, In Jesus' day, the city of Capernaum had about 1,500 permanent residents, and it was a really pretty busy place because it was positioned along a trade route that stretched from, and you can see it here, the little uh, yellow line there running up the west coast of the the Sea of Galilee, running from Egypt in the south all the way to Mesopotamia in the north, and it was known as the Via Maris, or the Way of the Sea. 
And in the first century, it was traveled by people from all different countries, all different walks of life. And so Capernaum was like an like ancient Near Eastern commercial center, a cosmopolitan hub that actually allowed the news of Jesus, his teaching and his miracles, to spread rather quick, uh, quickly through the region as people uh, came and went. And so Luke reports that one day Jesus was standing near the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee, near Capernaum, teaching a crowd uh, of people who were really pressing in uh, against him, listening intensely to what he was saying, because he was explaining to them the good news, you know, news that because of God's love and grace, forgiveness of sin, eternal life were possible uh, for all those who believe, and they, people wanted to hear about this. Something else about Capernaum and the surrounding region. Uh, it was known for its fish, fishing industry. In fact, there's a small uh, town just was south of uh, Capernaum named, uh, named Magdala, and it was famous at the time for pickling, salting, drying fish, and shipping them all around the Roman Empire. Its name was Terrakei in the Greek, uh, which meant the place where fish are salted. So essentially, they, they called it Fishville. Um, but the whole area was, uh, the fishing industry was a really big deal there on the North Shore. And so there would have been a lot of boats um, in and around Capernaum. And verse 2 indicates that Jesus spots two boats, and he notices local fishermen there cleaning their nets, uh, one being Simon Peter, who Jesus already knew. He stayed at Peter's uh, house one day. He actually healed his mother-in-law from a fever. And so Jesus climbs into Peter's boat and asks him to, to float offshore a little bit uh, so he could teach the people without them actually pushing him into the water. And then uh, also they could use the water as this natural amplifier of sound. And so Peter, I'm guessing, still grateful, you know, for what Jesus did for his mother-in-law, lets Jesus use his boat. He was done with it for the day anyway. But it seems that Jesus' intention here went beyond just teaching the crowd. I mean, he was about to invite Simon Peter <clears throat> to become not just a part-time admirer, but a fully devoted follower. And so what this account tells me is that sometimes following Jesus begins rather innocently. And again, this wasn't the first time that Jesus and uh, Peter had met, but I'm guessing this is the first time Peter encounters Jesus at his workplace, and it, because Peter wasn't just a family man, he was a businessman. According to the text, he and his partners, his brother Andrew, James, and John, who were sons of Zebedee, they owned a fishing fleet, and on this particular day, they were just going about their business, doing their, their normal jobs. Uh, they had landed their boats, and they were washing their nets. And here's the, th here's the deal with first century fishing in that region. It was a really tough job. Uh, Jewish historians tell us that fishermen in northern Galilee worked year-round. They worked in the heat of summer, in the, in the cool of winter, with most of their fishing taking place at night, with the daytime hours spent cleaning and mending nets that were made of linen, a very common fabric in the ancient Near East. And that linen would remain really strong only if it was cared for. Otherwise, it would rot out which meant that every single day it had to be cleaned, it had to be dried. And so a big part of a fisherman's life was all about caring for their nets. Uh, in terms of their boats, uh, common fishing boats at the time uh, had oars and sails. Uh, on average, they were 26 feet long, 7.5 feet wide, and 5 feet high, and were used not just for uh, transporting goods and fish, but also passengers. They could fit up to 15 people. Uh, here's an interesting archaeological uh, uh, thing. Back in um, January of 1986, uh, during a drought in that region, um, and the water level of the Sea of Galilee had reduced quite a bit, these two modern-day Jewish fishermen, their brothers, Yuval and Moshe Lufen, noticed a, a shadow 
just, uh, just offshore under the water in and around the Capernaum area. And it, they investigated it. It ended up being a, a sunken ship. But more than that, it ended up being a very significant archaeological find. In fact, the Israeli government issued an order to build a dike around it, pump the water out, and excavate the boat. And here's a picture of that 1986 excavation. And what archaeologists uh, discovered was an, a, a very early first century fishing vessel uh, that sailed the Sea of Galilee during the time of Jesus. And not only that, its features matched precisely the biblical description of the boat owned by Peter. Uh, today, this ancient artifact is displayed in a Jewish museum uh, near the Sea of Galilee, and outside the museum, there is this scale model of what the boat would have looked like in Jesus' day. So keep in mind, this isn't a fairy tale we're talking about. This is history. It's the true life, uh, life-changing interaction between Jewish fishermen and Jesus, who was claiming to be the Son of God. Okay, so back to the text. Verse 4 tells us that when Jesus was done speaking... Uh, he says to Peter, hey, uh, put out into deeper water and let's, and let's let down the nets for a catch. And Peter says to him, Master, which was a, a title of respect, he says, you know, look, we, we've worked hard all, hard, hard all night. We've been fishing all night. We haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll do it. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll let down the nets. And um, I give Peter a lot of credit here because he was probably tired. He was up all night, didn't catch anything, had nothing to sell, nothing to show for all of his efforts except dirty nets that he had to get cleaned. It's daytime, the sun is up, it's getting hot, and yet out of respect and gratitude, he agrees to do what Jesus asked. Uh, I'm thinking he figured, oh, you know, the least I can do for the guys, take him out in the boat, fish around a little bit, and then take him back to shore. And so in a way, it seemed like a very innocent encounter. You know, Peter's living his life, he's doing his thing, and then Jesus shows up. But, you know, that's often how it, how it happens. It's how it happened for me. I mean, I wasn't looking to be a follower of Jesus. And maybe that's similar to your faith story. You were kind of just doing your own thing in life, and then suddenly Jesus showed up in some way, shape, or form, uh, and he entered your experience. It might not have been some big dramatic event, but very innocently you encountered uh, the message, Jesus' message of, of love and grace and forgiveness. And that tends to be the way Jesus works, you know, through family, through friends, through circumstances. He makes his presence known. He doesn't push his way in or force his way in, but expresses interest and a, de a desire to know us and be part of our lives. And that's how it was with Peter. His was a very innocent encounter, and little did he know that it would lead to much, much more. In fact, the second thing uh, this encounter, uh, this encounter uh, teaches us is that following Jesus requires an intentional decision. I mean, Peter was out all night long, no fish, nothing. And now he's got this carpenter's son turned itinerant rabbi telling him how and where to catch, uh, catch fish. And it was really kind of ridiculous, and Peter knew it because it was midday. The time was wrong, the place was wrong, conditions were, it was all wrong. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but if you ask a professional fishermen, they will tell you that 100% of the fish are in 10% of the water. And that seems to be true. I was in Upper Manitoba a few weeks ago on a fishing trip with my son and some friends, and we were flown into a lake that is just absolutely massive. It has over 3,000 miles of shoreline, this one lake, because of, of coves and, and, uh, and islands. I mean, it is just absolutely massive, absolutely beautiful. Let me show you a picture of the lake. Oh, wait, how did that get in there? <laughs> That's the lake in the background. You notice the lake? Uh, <clears throat> that is one of the many fish that uh, I caught. 
And uh, I didn't catch it because I knew where to fish that lake. That lake was massive. I'd had no idea where to begin. I caught it because we had a guide. That's the only reason. Uh, I have a friend who lives in Mississippi. He's a professional fisherman. He's He's on the Bass Masters Tour, you know, the whole ESPN thing, and he gets paid money for fishing, actually gets paid money for catching. And uh, when I've gone with him in the past fishing, I know we're going to catch fish because he knows when and where to go and how to do it right. And I'll tell you what, he's a friend of mine, but if I got onto his boat and I said, let me tell you where to go, he would quickly tell me where to go. Uh, Because, I mean, who am I? I'm a pastor from Chicago, grew up in North Jersey. What do I know about fishing in Mississippi, Upper Manitoba, Lake Michigan, wherever? Here's my point. As a professional, Peter could have responded to Jesus and said, what do you know about fishing, carpenter boy? But he doesn't do that. Instead, he says, because you say so, I'll let down the nets, which to me is a revealing statement. It tells me Peter decided to do what Jesus asked him, even though it didn't make a lot of sense. It implies a high level of respect. I mean, it's not like Peter hadn't seen Jesus do amazing things already. Maybe he was expecting something more. But but keep in mind, Jesus simply asked Peter to do that which was easy for Peter just to let down the nets. He did it all the time. It wasn't anything special. So in a way, Jesus was demonstrating a divine willingness to use Peter's natural abilities, his expertise, his knowledge, his interests, to do something significant, and in this case, miraculous. All Peter had to do was be available and obedient, and he was. He drops the nets, and they catch so many fish, the boats start taking on water. So here's my Ray K summary. Peter had a need for fish, Jesus met the need. He turned a normal, everyday experience into something very unique. And uh, here, here is what I've learned over the years. I've learned that when we decide to be available and obedient to God, He can turn our routine lives into something special as well. When it happens for Peter, look what he does. We're told that when he saw all this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a, I'm a sinful man. In other words, This innocent encounter with Jesus leads Peter to make an intentional decision. He and his uh, partners were astonished, and the root of that Greek word that's used here is the term we usually translate miracle. So in a way, the text is saying he and his partners were (laughs) miracleized because this carpenter turned rabbi who was claiming to be deity knew exactly when and where to catch the fish and to catch them in a big way. And so in the midst of the chaos of the catch, something dawns on Peter. Namely, this wasn't, this wasn't some magic trick. It wasn't dumb luck or just a freak accident. Only God could have produced such a catch in the heat of the day. It was miraculous in the truest sense. So notice how Peter, prior to this, calls Jesus what? Master, which was a title of respect. But after the miracle, after the display of power, in humility, Peter intentionally calls Jesus Lord the title for God, i.e., he believes. In fact, Peter was so overwhelmed by what Jesus did in in a very reverent and respectful way, he asked Jesus to leave him alone, to go away from him. Why? Because Peter was one of those guys who was certain that God, God wouldn't want anything to do with him. He was just an average slob from Capernaum. You know, he didn't feel worthy to be in the presence of deity. God was really only interested in the good, moralistic, religious people, right? Well, no, it's not right. And this encounter, this encounter proves it. And once Peter realized that, once he realized he was standing before deity, he just, he just con- 
just breaks down and confesses his, his own sinfulness before God. He says, I am a sinful person. I'm a broken individual. And so Peter was humbled by it all. He was a bit shaken, really, a little freaked out and afraid. And we know that because Jesus says, don't be afraid, which must have both surprised and comforted Peter at the same time. Because just when he thought that he might get you know, struck dead uh, because of his sinfulness, Jesus assures him that it was all going to be okay. And he didn't need to fear. And so all of a sudden, Peter, he, he learns the truth about God's grace. And he decides to embrace it for himself. And really, what broken, sinful person wouldn't? And once Peter experiences God's grace, you know, he was different. I mean, he looked the same, he talked the same, he had the same personality traits, but he was changed because that's what God's grace does. It changes people. It changes, changes us from the inside out. And not only that, this encounter tells us that following Jesus results in an irrefutable change of direction. I mean, before all this, Peter was all about fish, man. He, you know, maybe he had the, 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 the mission statement of his company on the, painted on the boat. You know, our mission is to supply our customers the highest quality fish available. Who knows? But he was a businessman. He was serious about it. He had the knowledge, the experience, uh, the equipment, the, the employees, and he was good at what he did. But this encounter with Jesus leads him to a decision that resulted in a change of direction, a change of life mission. Jesus said, you know, from now on, you're going to fish for people. Your, your paradigm is going to shift. Basically, Jesus was saying, Peter, you're going, to, you're going to think and act differently now. You're going to look beyond the temporal and see life and people from an eternal perspective. And from this point on, what you say, what you do, will be driven by a sense of spiritual purpose. You're going to impact people in a serious way. Now, if I were Peter, I'd have, I'd have been thinking to myself, well, well that, okay, but how is that going to happen? How am I going to do that? And yet, in some respects, Peter already had a good start on it because, well, for one, having a spiritual impact on people means that you let God use your everyday life as a platform. You know, for, for a fisherman, your boat is your life. And Peter let Jesus use his boat to share the message of grace with this crowd of people. And in the same way, if you... You consider yourself a follower of Jesus. Understand that he wants to use your everyday life, your everyday life as a platform for this good news of grace. Impacting people means that you trust God. You just trust him, you know, like Peter. Uh, we trust him with our resources, our time, our energy, our talents, our abilities. And that trust gets expressed through obedience. You know, for Peter... Look, for Peter, it was the middle of the day, man. It was the middle of the day. It's the time when fish swim away from surface light and head for the deep, cold darkness. And Peter knew that. But Jesus says to him, put down the net. And he obeyed. And when he did, Jesus miraculously drew the fish back into the light, back into the net. And it reminds me of when Jesus once said, light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And if that's true, and I think it is, then we are called uh, to give God our lives, to trust Him, to obey. But ultimately, when it's all said and done, we let God draw people out of the darkness and into His light. We cast the net, but He makes the catch. But 
for that to be at all possible, like Peter, it also means that we have to risk our reputation. I mean, look, Peter, you know, all of Peter's partners and the other fishermen around and all the people watching from shore, they knew, look, they knew you don't fish. You don't fish in the middle of the day. That's crazy. And they were probably laughing at Peter, saying, what is that lunatic doing? Dropping his nets just because this guy tells him to do so? But Peter wasn't afraid, apparently, wasn't afraid about what other people would think. He didn't seem to fear people. He was more concerned with doing what Jesus said. And what seemed foolish to others, I'm sure seemed foolish to Peter as well, but he did it anyway. And in the end, Jesus brought so many fish out of the darkness, the nets could barely handle them. Now, here's a question, I think, for us. Who are, who are we more concerned with? Who are we concerned uh, with, you know, with, are we concerned with what people think of us more than we're concerned about what God thinks of us or asks of, of us? I mean, that's a, it's an interesting question. In a number of ways, you know, for Peter, whether he realized it or not, I mean, he had a pretty good start on what it would take to be a, you know, a fisher of men and women, a spiritual influencer of people, and that's what Jesus was calling him to be and calling him to do. And we're told that in verse 11, here's what happens. They, they pulled, Peter and the guys, they pulled their boats up on shore and they left everything and they followed him. And, uh, I mean, I, we don't know how many of Peter's crew actually followed Jesus. We know that Peter did and Andrew did and James and John did. We don't know about the rest or if there were other, others, but these guys, at least, they all leave their stuff behind and make an irrefutable change of direction. Every now and then with the um, technology that we have now with social media, every now and then I get, I get news of some friends of mine I hung out with in, back in the day who, uh, who are still doing time in prison. And I, 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 I get the news and I think about them and, and think about my involvement with them at times. I look at my own family. You know, all of my siblings have done jail time. Uh, I'm the only one who has not, not because I didn't deserve it. I didn't get caught. And I look at those friends, and I look at my family, and look, I, I don't see myself as any better than any of them. The only difference is that early on, at early on I, came to a, I came to a point where I encountered the claims of Jesus, and I, and I recognized my own, my own brokenness, and so I embraced God's grace found in Jesus. And and decided to be a follower of his, and as a result, I, I experienced <clears throat> an irrefutable change of life direction. That's the only reason I'm standing here this morning, because I followed Jesus. In other words, he drew me out of the darkness and into the light, and basically said, Ray, man, it's time for you to leave that old stuff behind. Those behaviors, those attitudes, they're unhealthy, they're hurtful, they're destructive, they're going to lead you to failure maybe put you in prison, maybe kill you. So tell me, you know, for you, if you consider yourself a Christian, has your life experienced a kind of irrefutable change of direction? One that leaves no doubt in the minds of others around you that you're a follower of Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that you quit your job and, and you be a pastor like me. That's not what I'm saying. It just means that there's been something that's happened to you. There's been this undeniable change where your life has now become a platform through, through which the truth of God's grace is both demonstrated and communicated every day. 
You know, and that you trust God with your stuff and your time and your resources and your, and your money and your abilities. And you obey him even, even when you don't fully understand why he's asked you to do something or not do something. But you obey him and you're willing, you're willing to risk your own reputation because you revere God more than you revere people or what they think of you. And take it from me. I mean, you do those things, God will, God will use you in a very, very unique way. But here's, here's the final thing this interaction tells me. Namely, that following Jesus doesn't require we have everything figured out. And that's helpful for me. Because, you know, Peter certainly didn't have it figured out. He had no idea what he's really getting into. He didn't have all the answers to life's big questions. He wasn't a philosopher. He wasn't a theologian, a sociologist, a psychologist, an economist. He was just a simple fisherman. Listen, one of the biggest mistakes that church culture has made in recent generations, in my opinion, is portraying this idea that once a person comes to faith in Jesus, that they should have everything figured out about life, and about God, everything. I don't know when it happened, but somewhere along the line, the church eliminated any place for questions. There's no longer any room for doubt, and yet doubting is part of being human. Not being honest, or not being, not being sure is being on, just being honest, expressing confusion in the midst of life. Even at times being upset with God is just sincere. I mean, hey, Scripture teaches very clearly that we know in part and we see in part but ultimately, God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And so we don't always understand them, and we're not supposed to. Like it or not, we are called to live our lives. We're called to love God and love others without having all of our questions answered. And that's just hard. It's hard for everybody. It's hard for everybody. In fact, I don't know if you're familiar with this, this band, Vampire Weekend. Very popular group right now. It's an indie band, indie rock band, alternative band. And on their most recent album, just came out this year, uh, there's a song uh, called um, Yahweh. It's a takeoff of the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh. So the, the song is called Yahweh. And in the song, they, 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 ask the, they say this. This is part of the lyrics. Through the fire, through the flame, still, you never say your name, only I am that I am. But who could ever live that way? And... I think what the band is saying, and I'm pretty sure the lead, the lead, the lead singer wrote the lyrics, I think. He is Jew, comes from a Jewish background. He went to Hebrew school and all of that. And I believe what the band is saying here is that in the midst of our broken and confusing world and the pain of it, it's, it's hard to live without having all the answers. All the answers to who God is and, and why he does the things he does and why things are the way they are. And, and I think we would all agree with the band. It is hard. And anyone who tells you it isn't, or anyone who tells you they got it all figured out or got all figured out, is either just deluded or lying to you. Life can be a struggle to understand. Even a life of faith is at times very confusing. But that's okay because Jesus never says, rid yourself of questions, get everything figured out, and then come follow me. He, he simply says, follow me. And what does that imply? For me, it implies that God is not frustrated by our doubts. He's not scared by the questions we have on life's journey because ultimately, He is the answer 
we're looking for. So make no mistake about it, Peter didn't have everything figured out, no way, and he, but he certainly believed Jesus did, and so he followed him by faith, and the rest, the rest is history. And if you stop and you think about it, really, what hope did this guy, Peter, or any of his other uneducated fishermen and friends, you know, Andrew, James, John, what did all any of those guys really hope of, they have of, of, of impacting their world? I mean, really. And yet for them, an innocent encounter with Jesus led to an intentional decision to believe, resulting in an irrefutable change of life direction. And as a result of that, God did use them in a very powerful and unparalleled way to spread the news of his love and grace to the world found in Jesus, altering the course of human history forever. See, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your economic status is, how much money you make, what you do for a living, or how much education you have. God is not just interested in educated, moral, religious people. His love and grace is offered to all of us, to average, broken men and women like you and me. And he can and he will use you and me and all of us to make a spiritual difference in our community, in our region, and in our world if we're willing to have faith and just follow him. And I hope you will. And I hope we do together. Let's pray. Our Father, we... um, I think we all are willing to admit that life can be confusing... And we have a lot of questions about why you do what you do and why things happen the way they happen. Big, big questions about existence, about the future, about the experiences we have in life. And, and sometimes we feel we have to have all the answers. And, um, and yet you've never, you have never told us that that's the case. In fact, Jesus simply said, follow me, trust me. And I, and I ask God that maybe we would come to that place of trust where, sure, answers perhaps unfold as we move through life, but um, we're willing to follow you even we don't have the answers. And we would allow ourselves to have questions because they're not threatening to you. And ultimately, you are the answer we're seeking. I pray, Lord, that in each of us this morning that you would speak to our hearts and our minds and, and that you would help us consider where we are in our, in our relationship with you and in our followership or even if we are a follower at all. And that in those moments, and even as we sing this next song, that you would awaken within us a spiritual refreshing, a spiritual uh, newness that would alter uh, our lives and allow us to alter the lives of others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, So the story, this account of Jesus with Peter, um, there's a lot to it, yeah, uh, obviously, but there's one thing about the story that really moves me, um, and that is this whole idea that Peter wasn't looking to follow Jesus. He wasn't looking for him. Jesus found Peter and John and Andrew. Um, 
And what, what, that, what that shows to us is the distinction between religion and Christianity. In religion, man is looking for God and finding, trying to figure out ways to get to God and what to do to get to God and what to do to be good enough to get to God. But Christianity is distinct because God comes looking for you. That's the difference. And I hope you, I hope you understand that this morning. And um, I hope you've come to that place in your, your life where you, you've decided to follow Jesus. We have, uh, we have one, one new song we want to teach you that kind of re- resonates and relates to this whole idea of God's love and grace that just pursues us relentlessly. And so the band's going to teach you this one last song, and then we'll, we'll be done for the morning.